Yes, people. How's everyone doing? Welcome to another episode of Echoes from the Goddamn Void. Man, I have to say, I love this track. Tell you, it's from the album Aquemini, which came out in 1998. And um, Rosa Parks tried to sue them over this song which i always thought was a bit crazy you know what i mean just seemed over the top and i tell you what is over the top man everyone is losing their goddamn minds because megan whatever her name splurted out a mess this week you know what i mean it, it, it it's like it's not like she solved, you know, the climate problems. It's not like, you know, she's worked out how to feed the world. No, she just opened her legs and let a little thing slip out. That's all she did. And yeah, everyone's losing their minds. It's just like, I saw this, I don't know if it's a choir or just a, a group of crazy people, but they're like, we've written a lullaby for the new kid. I'm just like, what the fuck? You don't even know this little motherfucker. You don't even know them. Why are you writing a song? You know, everyone's trying to endear themselves. You know, like restaurants. Oh, we created a sandwich in his honor. And oh, we've made a new cocktail. I'm like, what? are you doing you know what I mean? is, is, is for someone you don't know why are you losing your minds about some kid it just seems very weird to me you know what i mean because i'm telling you now i struggle to give a damn about kids i know like friends who have had kids like once the kid has grown up and it can actually form words then it's cool we can have a conversation i'll make my mind up if i like you but when it doesn't even make any coherent sentences i don't care they always look like, yo, it's like the worst thing when people like, you know, show you pictures of their kid or, or push the kid up in your face. And they're like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And you're just like, it looks like a cross between E.T. and Yoda. Get that away from me. You know what I mean? I have blown better looking shit out of my nose. You know, so a kid, I don't, I don't care. I don't care about this fucking royal baby. And then Amy Schumer drops a little sprat as well. And it's like, oh, our royal baby has been born. And he's like, grow the fuck up. Why, you, why be like our royal baby? Do you, 
what does royal mean to you it's nothing they're just more rich motherfuckers that's all it is Harry like yo if we went back you know what I mean? we were, we went back in time to Henry the eighth you know like um William the Conqueror we went back to them days yo then a king or queen now that's what I'm thinking you know I'd be a little impressed then. Right now, I don't give a fuck right now. You know? Hey, if if a king or a queen can draw a sword and, like, you know, take an army to battle, hey, mad props. If all you do is sit in a carriage and wave, go fuck yourselves, man. You know what I mean? Ugh. Anyway. Anyway. Let's get to some of the um, insane shit that's been going down this week. Now, everything's insane. There's been some interesting stuff. A really interesting story. That um, Oh, yeah, I'm mad interested in. But, uh, yeah, let, let's get to this week's news. Yo, in a bit of news that I was very surprised at. You know, because I didn't think this would happen. Um, well, the Brunei of what? Yeah, god damn it. Uh sometimes the words that come out of my mouth just surprise me. I'm just like, what the fuck does that even mean? Sorry. So on Sunday, the Sultan the Sultan of Brunei. Uh, he gave a speech, and in that speech, he um, he declared that uh, a retweaking of the recent second phase of Sharia law was being put in place. So, at the beginning of April, um. The, the second phase of their Sharia law came into uh, into uh, fruition. Fruition? Yeah, fuck it. Let's go with that. Um, so the, they they first introduced the first set in 2014, and at that point they said, "Hey, this is only the beginning, motherfuckers." So. On April the 3rd this year, they dropped the second lot. And this was um, individuals who have not reached puberty but are convicted of certain offences may be instead subjected to whipping. Those who persuade, tell or encourage Muslim children under the age of 18 to accept the teachings of religions other than Islam are liable to a fine or jail. The punishment for theft is amputation. Offences such as rape, adultery, sodomy, robbery, and insult or defamation of the Prophet Muhammad 
carry the maximum penalty of death. Lesbian sex carries a different penalty of 40 strokes of the cane and or a maximum of 10 years in jail. Which is weird. Like, how is, you know, how is that sort of decided that women get strokes, men get death? That's weird. But, like, the biggest thing is, like, how are you going to prove it? Like, how do you prove sodomy? Unless there's cameras in the room. You know what I mean? I'm just like, how do you prove that? That's, like, do they, you know, at an early age measure your asshole? And then, you know, at other points during your life, they call you in and be like, right, asshole measurement time. Drop the trowel. You know what I mean? Like, how? It's a weird one. But that, the, you know, what I mean that law, it, it brought a lot of outrage, you know, from the um, from the worldwide community. Uh, you know, the UN warned that um, it intervened international human rights that you know was signed in nineteen forty eight. And Brunei ratified in 2006. 2006. 2006? Bah. Yes. And um, people like George Clooney and Elton John called for a boycott of luxury hotels with links to the Brunei uh, royal family. But it's just like, you know what I mean? They called for a boycott of hotels. That, that's it, and luxury hotels that only those rich motherfuckers are going to be using anyway, I'm just like, if you really, you know what I mean, don't just say, oh yes, let's stop using the hotels, you know, like, if, you know, you've got people blocking, like, the, uh, oh, the building, the stock exchange over here and in America, you've got like the extinction whatever whatever protests at least try organize something like that but just be like hey guys let's stop using the hotels it's kind of weak you know if you ask me it's a bit lame but anyway yeah so on sunday the sultan um he gave a speech and said that there is a moratorium on the death penalty for um yes like the um the sodomy so i think rape and adultery hey you're still going to die but sodomy so gay sex for men you won't die for that so that's that, you know, that's, that's, that's all right, but, like, people, I think, are going a bit crazy, like, the Commonwealth Secretary General, Patricia Scotland, she said she was delighted the death penalty has been removed, I'm just like, okay, but what about the other crazy shit, 
You know what I mean? It's 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 just like because at the beginning you're 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 saying all of it is bad. All of it is really bad. You're against it, going against human rights, blah blah blah. So I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm delighted. Just a little tiny portion has been amended. You can say, hey, this is a good start. Now let's talk about the rest of the shit. You know, so from that, you really get the impression that, you know, they ain't going to do fuck all else. Everything else is just like, all right, yeah, I think that's it. You know, we, um, we're not going to poke the bear anymore. It's just, it's kind of laughable. It's a, what is, you know what I mean? It's kind of laughable. Not laughable in a fact that, hey, people can die. Ha, ha, ha. But it's just like the whole process, you know, the, the, the claims people make, you know, they try and posture and be like, oh, we're up against this. And then they're just like, yeah, you know, fuck it. Let's move on to something else. But yeah, you know. Didn't expect it, so yeah, I mean, it is shocking. So we will see what happens with all the rest of the crazy in Brunei. You know what I mean? I don't know. We'll see what happens, right? All right. Well, you know what? One thing that could happen, because no one's going to know, right? Brunei, they they let people off, they'd be like, alright, no, you know what, you're just going to jail, or you're just getting a fine, so then, when all the shit has died down, and it's out of the news, pow, 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 they go whack the people, you know what I mean, they'd be like, yo, we don't want you over here, boom, take them out, it could get sneaky like that, like, who's gonna know? Really, who the hell is going to know? Because you could, like, look, they can frame it. They could go, oh, the person had a heart attack. Oh, they it was a hit and run, blah, blah, blah. Yo, there's some sneaky shit going on, people. So that could happen for sure. Hmm. All right, yeah, something to think about. Something to think about. All right, anyway. So, um... I think it's fair to say, because it's May, it's fucking May, people, we're nearly halfway through the year, can you believe that shit, like, you think how quickly time has gone, right, so, I think it's fair to say that we're coming up to, um, festival season, we've just had South by, uh, West. I believe South by Southwest. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Childish Gambino is there and all them other peoples. So we just had that. But I mean, most of the big festivals are coming up. So we're just hitting that season. Um, and in the UK, definitely it's that way, right? But uh, there's this issue, right? People leave the festival and just dump their fucking tents. You know, they they just leave them. They're just like, eh, we're not taking our shit with us. 
And the thing is, when you look at all the stuff that's getting left behind, it's not all cheap. You see some nice-ass tents that definitely cost a little bit of cash, you know? Because I'm a shoe... Like, if you're dumping a tent, it, it it's going to be like £20. You know, anything more than that, I'm thinking you're taking that shit with you, right? But no, yeah, some people leave it. And so, um, recently, yeah, the Association of Independent Festivals, AIF, they, I think they comprise of like, I don't know, around 60 of these independent festivals that um take place around the country they have um they've kind of gone at the shops you know and organizations saying it's kind of your fault that people leave their fucking tents which ooh it's kind of fucking weird man so this is the issue right when it, you get to this festival season, so all the shops, you know, like Argos, Blacks, um, Outdoor Warehouse, uh, and spots like this, yeah, they often have, like, they set up these sections in the shop, um, in their catalogs, that kind of thing, and they'll be like, yo, these are your festival essentials. And there'll be a line of tents and bags and water coolers and all this kind of shit, you know. So, yeah, they, they say these are our festival tents. And so the AIF are saying because um, these organizations are labeling these tents as festival tents, the consumer is... um. Assuming they're single use Which I don't know I'm like Yo Come on man That's That's a crazy ass stretch right there You know what I mean To go from festival tent To single use You're kind of grasping Kind of grasping right And um, it, it makes me laugh because, the, so these festivals, they're trying to claim that they're all being green, you know, and they don't want the tents being left because, you know, we're a green festival. We're trying to eliminate plat. I'd be like, you're a bunch of lying fucks. You are pissed because it means you have to pay people to clean up these tents. And if there's a lot left, it might mean you have to rent the site for an extra day. And you don't want to do that. So it's cutting into their bottom line. And yeah, they're pissed. So they're trying to um, find a culprit for the situation. So instead of blaming themselves... Or the dirty-ass consumers, you know, the festival goers, they're blaming the shops, saying that you're marketing these things wrong. Which is kind of lame, man. Kind of lame. 
Because there's solutions to the issue. You know what I mean? There's solutions. I come right now, because if you think about it, right now festivals, they they have their glamping sections. So if you want to pay a big amount of cash on top of your big ticket price, you can, um, you know, spend your festival time in a teepee or a chalet or something like this. So instead of just that, right, just go all tents, right? So you have tents at different price ranges, and you tell the festival goers, hey, don't bring a tent. And you don't allow them to set up tents anywhere. You know what I mean? Just do that. And so, you know, you as I said, look, there's a price range. Because the majority of people aren't, wanna, aren't wanting to spend an extra, I don't know, £300 on your damn ass glamping bullshit. So have reasonable price tents for them. So they can come and, you know, they just slide into this tent. They don't have to set anything up. So that's saving them issues. You've set it up in a way that makes it easy for you to um, just, you know, get rid of everything, pack it up at the end. So you've got that as an option, right? You could also make people pay a deposit. So people come you they show you the tent you mark the tent or give them a you know a sticker or something then they have to put down a deposit and you'd think it would have to be of a certain amount otherwise people aren't going to care so i don't know 150 200 pounds you know what i mean something like that cuz you don't want to lose that so people yeah people have to put that down and when they leave you have to show them the sticker, the coupon, and the tent. Then you get your deposit back. That's another option, right? Um, or make people like be in the area. Have like people monitoring the areas. So when people are leaving, you're going right. Make sure you take your shit with you. And you know they can't leave until they've taken their shit. Like, that's another thing. Do that. You know, it's not fucking difficult. Really. And also, just, uh, like, hit it home to people. So in your emails, be like, yo, please don't leave your rubbish. You know, please take your tents. So have signs over the place. Yo, you've got people buy the tickets a year in advance. So hit them with emails about it. Like, Promote it to the festival goer. The festival themselves should be doing this. They shouldn't just leave it up to, you know, where you're buying it. Because, you know what I mean? They are called, just because they're calling it a festival tent, that's not saying it's single use. It's kind of crazy. But I tell you this, right? Whatever the festivals do, the festival goer will be feeling it with their uh, ticket price. Because festivals are expensive, man. Now, cost effectively, they are decent. Because if if there's a lot of people you want to see, 
it works out cheaper to go see them all at a festival than go to individual gigs. You know what I mean? So looking at it like that, it's cost effective. But if you look at the price of what they used to be to what they are now, it's getting crazy. So if the festival has to put certain things in play, they're going to charge. Going to charge. I can guarantee that. You know? But listen, it, I get, like if it's not a crazy amount, fine. If it means that I like the festival goer doesn't have to pay a big amount of money, you know. But I, I tell you, festival goers are lazy motherfuckers. Like there's an article about this on the BBC website, right? And they, they've asked a guy that goes to the festivals, be like, what's the deal with leaving the tents? He's just like, oh, on the last day, everyone's just a bit mashed up. You know, everyone's a bit down because the festival is lee ending so no like we don't want to have the hassle of fucking around with our tent especially if it's muddy so we just leave it so frankly if you're one of them people who cares you're a lazy fucker you know what i mean so it's just like i have no sympathy for them but you can't blame the shops like unless the shop is saying hey don't bother taking you know you can just dump this tent at the festival ground but if they're not it's all on you people it's all on you hey getting on to a bit of a a more positive story well kind of positive i was i was very impressed with edinburgh recently because um, I I dread that they were going to be shutting off some of the streets in the city centre to help with um, air pollution. So, yeah, you know what I mean? That's pretty decent, right? You know what I mean? Because th- there's other ways to get around. So, yeah, shut down some of the streets. Make them pedestrian only. Or, you know, bikes. Like, non-motorised um, vehicles. Apart from fucking scooters. Because grown people on scooters... Let's just... Let's be honest. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, people. What are you doing? But I digress. I digress. So, yeah. I, I was like... I saw that and I was thinking... Hey, that is pretty good. And then I read, oh, it's between midday and five. All right, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that's that's okay, I guess. That's not too bad. And um, the the transport and environment um person for uh, city of edinburgh said we've seen how successful similar schemes internationally have proved by encouraging active travel improving air quality and creating a safer more relaxed atmosphere so i can't wait to see this take shape in the capital 
Climate change is a real threat to society. It's clear that we have to act and open streets is undoubtedly a step in the right direction. Which is, um, hey, you know what? That, that's big talk right there. It's big talk, yeah? And, like, it, it's unclear, like, what the deal is. But, so in, um, yeah, in, in Edinburgh, they've got their uh, bike scheme. And it was free to use the bikes. But I don't know if this was just for the launch week. Or if this is just a thing now, they're going to say between midday and five, it's free to use the bikes. Which would be a big, bold move. You know? It's giving people another option, a free option, pretty decent. Then I read this scheme... It's only on the first Sunday of every month. The first Sunday of every month. I'm like, what happened to the whole claim of climate change is a real threat to society? And, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're you know, have empowered people to use active travel, improving air quality and creating a safer, more relaxed atmosphere. One day a week? You you spout that? But the scheme is one day a week? At least make it like every weekend. You know what I mean? Every, every weekend. Oh, don't know what happened with my voice there. But yeah, every weekend, do that. At least do that. I mean, just do it every fucking day. If you want to make a real change, every fucking day. But at the least, every weekend. But one day a month. It's kind of bullshit. You know, I don't know how much that's going to even... It's not going to do anything. And the other problem with doing one day a month. People are going to forget. People will forget. Because it's not every week. For people. For it to sink into the consciousness. It's got to be a regular thing. And one day a week. It's not regular. It's not regular enough. For people to be like. Oh shit. No driving. Free travel, let's go, let's be active. So, from being impressed with Edinburgh, I'm just a bit like, yeah. You know, you wrote a check that your ass couldn't deliver. I'm not sure if that's the actual saying, but you know what I mean. So, must try harder, Edinburgh. Must try harder. Final bit of news this week. Best news. Very exciting. Um, so, in the um, 
Nature, Ecology and Evolution Journal, a um, Virginia Tech professor, researcher, um, he's written a paper, so Sterling Nesbitt, he, um, he has discovered a new dinosaur, yeah, that's right people, he discovered a new dinosaur in New Mexico, um, it's called, and, uh, this is where it all gets a little bit tricky, the, um, Sus Kitty Ranus Hazali. Actually, I think I pretty, pretty much nailed that. God damn it. I'm, I can be good sometimes. So, he, he's found, he discovered this dinosaur. It was one meter tall at the hip and no more than three meters in length. And also, it was the cousin of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Dum, dum, dum. So they're saying the cousin because it shows a lot of the, the features of the T-Rex. So I, you can look at it as a, a, a clear sign of the evolution to the T-Rex. Because also, this dinosaur, this um, Suski, it was around 92 million years ago. Okay. And the T-Rex, that was between 80 and 66 million years ago. So, yeah, we, we, there's a, a, a 12 million year gap in between the two. Which I do believe is enough time for the evolution to kind of kick in. Because, you know, things, like some things do change, I say relatively quickly. Uh, when we say relatively quickly, it's like a, a, it's not like in a year. It'd be like 50 years it's probably the quickest maybe changes that have kind of been found in in species but it's usually over a long period of time so you'd think 12 million years yeah that that's a, that's a long ass piece of time um which is yeah just very very interesting and the crazy thing is so sterling he he found a number of these bones from the Suski when he was 16 years old in 1998. He was like taking part in a school dig in New Mexico. So, um, yeah, it's taken all this time for him to kind of analyze it, you know, graduate from school and become a paleontologist, you know. So, um, yeah, it's very, it's kind of crazy. But he's saying, like, the new, the new species shows that Tyrannosauruses developed many of their signature features 
like a muscular skull, broad mouth and a shock-absorbing foot when they were still small, maybe as adaptations for living in the shadows. So this, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I'd, I'd be very curious to see, you know, what the actual feature is. So, um, yeah, like, if you want to read more about this, check out the Nature Ecology and Evolution Journal. And you can read more about the uh, Suskitiranus Hazelali. Alright, so, that's our, um, that's all the interesting news that I found this week, alright, so, um, oh, people, it was a, a good week for fighting, you know, there was two events, Friday and Saturday, so, um, yeah, let's get to those, right? Okay, so, you know, if you're a fan of fighting, I, I'm going to say fighting, I'm talking mixed martial arts, you know what I mean? Um, like, everyone knows that the tournaments have stopped, you know what I mean? And I'm talking about the one-night tournament, not like what Bellator, Bellator are doing right now, because they're doing tournaments, but... It's one fight a night, and it's spread over the whole year. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just like, it's so spread out, it's kind of crazy. So, it doesn't actually feel like a tournament. I think Ryzen still sometimes do a kind of old school tournament, but usually I think that's spread over two days. But yeah... Weird thing enough, the the one organization to bring back the one night tournament is Invicta Fighting Championships. And if you don't know what Invicta is, it's the all female fighting organization. You know what I mean? So you know they've got this. It's like the UFC with the weight classes and everything. I mean, they don't have heavyweight. They don't have heavyweight, they don't have um, welterweight or middleweight, but they've got, you know, the lower weight classes, and it's just, um, you know, it, it's some of the best female fighters from around the world, you know, and a lot of them, you have, you'll either have seen a lot of these ladies fight in organisations such as the UFC, or... Once they've, you know what I mean, done well in Invicta, they definitely then jump to the UFC. But, um, yeah, so, um, last night, the 3rd of May, Invicta held their very first Phoenix Rising Series events. Now, this was eight women... In a tournament, and the winner of the tournament would be the Invicta new strawweight champion. So there was like, you know, what I mean? there was a lot to play for here, and so it was great. We, you know, we had a um a reserve fight, 
and um so in case anyone got injured and there was a um you know just a a normal strawweight fight as a co-main event which then you know it gave the ladies a little bit of time to recover in between so you know it makes sense and yeah it was good so we started off with the quarterfinals and the first fight of the evening was Suna David's daughter who was um I think she was the only undefeated fighter coming into this tournament against Kaylin Curran, who used to fight for the UFC. And, like, this was a good fight. Well, it was a good fight if you were Kaylin, because she dominated David's daughter. You know, she um, put her down twice. And really kind of dominated the fight. She ended on her back. But, you know, she'd already had David's daughter on her back for, I think, like three and a half minutes. So I kind of felt it was it was clearly um, Kaylin's fight, although it did end via split decision but Kaylin Curran um defeated Suna David's daughter to be the first fighter to proceed in the tournament and um one thing I forgot to mention okay so the quarterfinals and the semi-finals were only one round which you know, because I think in the old school tournaments, it would still be three rounds. It, you know what I mean? For the quarters, the semis. So this was good because it meant that the fighters weren't going to get ridiculously tired if they made it through to the final or even just a semi-final. You know, so it was a good idea and it saved on damage as well. You know, because you can still get fucked up in one round, but you're less likely to be completely destroyed. You know what I mean? But yes, so the second quarterfinal fight was Juliana Lima against Daniel Taylor. Both used to be UFC fighters. And this one, it was pretty... And pretty even fight. They were both um, kind of holding each other against the fence. You know, you, you kind of it, it took place in the clinch, but the difference was Lima was more active in the clinch up against the fence. You know, she was landing knees, a lot of knees. Um, the odd, the odd elbow, and a few more punches when they actually split. For they, they, you know, it wasn't in the middle of the cage or or apart for a lot. But when they were, Lima landed the cleaner punches. Taylor, you know, she landed the odd few, but definitely Lima was the more active fighter out of the clinch off the fence so 
Lima took to split decision win and was the next fighter through. Um, oh, oh my gosh. Another thing I forgot to mention, right? So anyone that won their quarterfinal fight, it would mean that they get to select who they fight in the semifinals. So that was a little kind of, oh, that's an incentive right there. So the next fight was Brianna Van Buren against Manjit Kulika. And God damn it, man. Brianna just, this was ridiculous. Brianna completely dominated this fight, completely dominated, she didn't give Manjit any space to do anything, Brianna, like, just took Manjit down at will, dominated her, landed a lot of ground and pound, and clearly winning, clearly winning, but just wasn't prepared to, um, you know what I mean, just rest on her laurels, you know, and so uh, I think we were just over halfway of the fight, and um, Brianna had Manjit down, landing ground and pound, Manjit kind of was flailing with with her arms, and Brianna just took that arm home, and um, won with a, 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 a tremendous armbar, the transition for the armbar was great, and um, yeah, she just sunk it in, sunk it in nice, Manjit had no alternative but to tap, and tap quick, so Brianna Van Buren was the, you know, she's through to the semi-finals, and the first fighter to finish a fight, so, you know, she gets to choose her semi-final fight, it's an incentive, definitely a big incentive for the last quarter-final fight, which is Sharon Jacobson v Amber Brown, and going into this fight, it's it was clear that Amber Brown was the more technical fighter, but Sharon Jacobson was just the stronger of the two, just a stronger girl, and she was able just to power Brown down, like, you know, like, the technique was there, but she wasn't getting her to the ground, but it was the pure strength that was just like, ah, you know what, fuck it, and she used that strength throughout the fight, to just put Brown in the position she wanted and to control, like, the second half of the fight. So, um, yeah, Japerson was able to take a unanimous decision win. So, you know, we, um, yeah, so now was our, our semi-finals. But before... Um, you know, before we get to the semi-finals, 
we had the reserve fight. Which was good because it gave the fighters a chance to kind of breathe and to refocus. So it was Itzel Escaval against Alicia Kran. Um, this was a very close fight. It was very back and forth. It was still only one round. Um, but yeah, very back and forth. And Kran took the fight. And I feel it was solely because she was able to get um, a takedown on Escaval and just hold her down. It, you know what I mean? There wasn't an overall lot of ground and pound or anything like that. But she was able to get the control um, with, I think, like a minute and a half left in the fight. So, yeah, Alicia Khan took the fight. And um, so if any of our fighters were injured, she would be the replacement. But, yeah, so we had the semifinals. Um, Brianna, you know, was able to select who she would fight. And she chose Juliana Lima. And, um, yeah... I have to say, this this was, you know, because Lima was the taller fighter, you know, the taller fighter, she's got UFC experience, so you kind of felt that this was definitely a very big challenge to um, Brianna, Brianna was just like, nah, I got this, and again, uh, Again, she just dominated Lima. Lima had nothing, absolutely nothing, in the in the um in the offensive department for Brianna. It was insane. Just took her down. Just took her down by will. Controlled her on the ground. Landed some ground and pound. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Like, Brianna Van Bruen was just, she just showed so much in these first two fights. Like, she was definitely someone to watch out for. Definitely someone to watch out for. And this time, she took the unanimous decision win. Okay, so the next semi-final fight was Kaylin Curran against Sharon Jacobson. Um and this this was um you know this was an interesting fight because you know in Kaylin's first fight she got two um two knockdowns so she clearly had a lot of power but Jacobson was very good with the strength and the wrestling. So she was able to get Kaylin down, I think, like, once. But Kaylin was very good in the, in her sprawling and just kind of controlling the distance. You know, she landed punches on Sharon and, um, yeah, just, just was able to um, kind of control the fight. But there was uh, both fighters 
did sustain a lot of damage because when um, Sharon took Kaylin down she did land a lot of punches um you know so Kaylin was marked up Kaylin was landing punches on her feet so yeah he, although Kaylin clearly took the decision oh the the like no one came out of this fight clean, you know, both were damaged, which kind of made you wonder about the final, so now we knew the final was Brianna Van Bruen against Kaylin Curran, and you were like, oh, okay, is there enough time for Kaylin to kind of recuperate, so we now have our co-main event of the evening, which was um, Magdalena Somorova making her Invicta debut against um, young up up and coming Kay Hansen, uh, and you know Hansen looked good in this fight. This was this fight was three rounds. Hanson looked very good. She definitely took the first round, you know. But the second round, I don't know, it was strange. It, it felt like Hanson just kind of turned the pace down. Because Magdalena really came forward in this round, was able to take Hanson down. Um, and kind of stamp her authority on the fight, you know, she, she completely um, came back, so we're one and one going into the third, uh, and this was more even, Hanson seemed to be like, oh shit, get better get back into it, so it was a more even fight, but it, w it was still, um, Magdalena still seemed a sharper fighter. So was able to take Hansen down and just couldn't completely control it. With, oh, it, I think it was probably about 15 seconds left. Hansen was able to scramble and sink in an armbar. Sinking an armbar that looked pretty tight. And you kind of felt if she had been able to initiate this just a little bit earlier. Maybe 20 seconds left. She probably would have won the fight. But as it was, Magdalena was able to grip through. Survive the fight. And, um, yeah, she then took a split decision win over Kay Hansen. So, the main event was set. It was Brianna Van Buren against Kaylin Cran. And, um, see, Brianna's nickname is The Bull. And, oh, she lived up to that title in all three of these fights, so, um, this, the final was a three-round affair, and 
you know, Brianna in the first round, Brianna looked like the sharper fighter. She, you know, looked like she had mad confidence coming in. You know, she had all of her energy. And and Kaylin just looked a bit of a step behind. You know, she she was throwing her jab. She was still, you know, trying to keep good on the movement. And this is all to be suspect. This is all to be um, suspected because Jason Provillo is a coach. Do you know what I mean? So she she definitely had the training, and she was trying, trying to keep you know things at a distance, trying to be light on her feet. But Brianna was just walking her down, landing big overhand punches, and just, you know, going, yo, this is my time, bitch. I ain't backing down, you know? So, the end of the first round, Kalem was looking tired. Yo, she was looking tired, she was looking worn out, and Brianna was just had this focus in her eyes. And she came out again in the second round, just you know what I mean? Bullish. Just bullish. And she was able to get Kaylin down to the ground. You know, her 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 slams were great. Throughout this tournament. And she took Kaylin down. And just took her back. She took her back. Sunk in a rear naked choke. And that was all she wrote people. Was all she wrote. Because Brianna Van Bruen. Won the fight. And is the new. Invictus strawweight champion. And you gotta say, hey, if if she gets another good performance out in her next fight, I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC doesn't give um, Sharon Knapp and Victor a call and say, hey, we'd like to take the ball into the big show. You know what I mean? Yeah. She definitely looked good, so I'm I'm very interested to see, um, you know what Brianna does in her next fight, and I'm definitely looking forward to another of these Phoenix Rising tournaments because this was freaking fantastic. It was great. It was it you know it was a great show. Um, Laura Sanko and Jimmy Smith were fantastic with the commentary. So, yeah, roll on the next Phoenix Rising and just the next Invicta event. Because they're always fun. Alright? So, um, yeah, this was a great lead-in to um, the UFC on Saturday, which is... Cowboy Cerrone against Al Iaquenta in Ottawa, Canada. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that for sure. Yo, I've got to say, ever since this um, 
UFC fight card was announced, I've been looking forward to it. You know what I mean? Because it was just like the word was we were going to get Donald Cerrone against uh, Conor McGregor. And that was a great fight. That didn't happen. And then they were like, Al Iaquinta, cowboy. And you're just like, oh shit, that is going to be a fight. You know what I mean? That is so, you know. And especially coming off, um, you know, Phoenix Rising yesterday, it was just like, oh, you know what I mean? It, it was just like, just super amped for some more great fights. Um, so, yeah, this was coming from the Canadian Tire Centre in Ottawa, Canada. So, um, yeah, like fights were a bit earlier. Which is always good for watching in the UK. Doesn't it mean you're not up like crazy late? But you know, it's alright. It's alright. Uh, so the weird thing is, I, I I saw on Bloody Elbow that Stephanie Haynes, right, kind of said this was a subpar night of fighting. I have to disagree. I thought. The, there was some great fights on this card, you know. I was very happy with everything that I saw. You know, like, not, like, we didn't get a whole heap of finishes. But we got some very good fights. You know what I mean? Because fighting is a chess game. And we definitely saw a lot of chess on play, um, you know, tonight. Like... On the undercard, like some fights that were definitely good fights, like Carl Nelson v. Matt Sales. Now, Sales had the first round completely dominated. You know, like there was a moment you thought he might get the finish, didn't. Second round, Nelson came back. Nelson came back. And you, you know, there was like a couple of moments you thought Sales was in trouble. You know, Sales might get finished himself. Went into the third round. Sales seemed to figure things out. And he um, finished it with a nice submission. You know, so that was definitely a good fight. Um, Nordin Taleb against Sigir Bad I'm yeah, I I butchered that, but you know, you know how I do. Um, now Taleb has had some, you know, last year he 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 lost some he lost some fights. You know what I mean? And he pretty much got steamrolled. So it was good to see him come back and seem to really kind of have redefined his game a lot more movement you know trying to diversify his attacks so that was a good fight you know he he won a un uh i think it was a unanimous decision so yeah that was a good fight then um the uh the yeah it was the um the, the showcase fight on the prelims card. It was Macy Shazan against Sarah Morass. Um, 
Now, when, you know, looking at how Macy has kind of come into the UFC of the Ultimate Fighter, you know, all those wins, her first fight, her first fight in the UFC, you know, she's been killing it. So, I think the, the thought was that this was going to be done early in the first round. So, when she stormed forward and Sarah took her down and then pretty much controlled her the whole of the round, it was just like, God damn. No one saw that shit coming. What, what's going to happen? You know, um, Macy kind of got up with, um, I ain't like 30 seconds or something left in the first round. Landed some good punches, but it was definitely Sarah's round. So, coming into the second round, again, she stormed forward. Um, you know, I mean, Sarah nearly took her down. She avoided it. Oh, but then it was a fight everyone thought it would be. Because Shazan just, man, she just opened up. Oh, a serious can of whoop-ass on Morass's ass, man. It was brutal. So, yeah, that was a second-round TKO for Macy Shazan. Um, So, kind of feel the next fight, she will be getting stiffer competition. So, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. So, we get into the main card. And it was Mark Barut against Andrew Sanchez. And I think before this fight, um, in the press, you know, Barut was was saying that he's going to be the next big thing in Canada. He wants to be the new GSP, as it were. Um, and it's just like, he's big, you know what I mean? He's big big and you kind of feel that maybe the muscle is slowing him down because Sanchez was the quicker fighter but Baruch when he landed they were heavy punches you know everything was thrown with intention but Sanchez I think he, he clearly had the first round clearly had the first round and Towards the end of the second round, Barriot seemed to be coming back. Like, he landed some good knees, some heavy shots. And, and you kind of felt that Sanchez got stumbled. In the third round, Barriot again was landed some heavy shots on Sanchez. And you definitely thought, oh shit. Maybe Sanchez gets finished because, you know, it, 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 we've seen it before with Sanchez. Like, sometimes mistakes get made in that third round. But he was able to get a takedown and then that was it. You know what I mean? It, it, the takedown, he got some bit more control and he was able to see out the round and win the decision. We then had Walt... Harris against Sergei Spikakov. And um, what can you really say about this fight? Harris 
just landed heavy. Just everything he threw was heavy. And yo, he just took Sergey out just even before a minute was passed. It was brutal. Real brutal. Uh, we then had Brad Katona against Marob Davashvili. And it like Marob's like first few fights in UFC, they've definitely been kind of crazy. Because the first two which he lost, you definitely feel oh I, you know what I mean he got robbed on both of those decisions. One his last fight was a really good performance, but the thing that you take away from all of his fights, his gas tank is insane, and you know what I mean, he will always be on you, always in your face, taking you down, landing, but Brad, in these first two fights, you know what I mean, the ultimate fight, fighter final, and then his first proper fight in the UFC, He's looked sharp. He's looked really sharp, really precise. So this was hard to call. Definitely hard to call. But god damn it, Marab was just like his new nickname, the machine, is so apt because he was just all over Katona, taking him down. And just, do you know what I mean? Just working, working, working. And Katona just didn't seem to have an answer. Like, when they were on their feet, he was landing some crisp strikes. But nothing was slowing Marab down. You know, nothing. And if Marab wanted to take him down, he took him down. It, it was that. And it's like, yeah, Brad just... Didn't seem to have an answer. So Marab. A clear. A very clear decision win. We then had Cub Swanson. Against Shane Burgos. Um, You know what I mean. Shane's the up and comer. Cub. Killer Cub. He's been in the game for ages, you know, he was a veteran of the WEC, so you just felt, yo, this would be a good fight, this would be an interesting fight, and it was, because Burgos had the clear um, reach advantage, so Cub needed to get in close, and, like, Cub was getting touched, while he was trying to get in, but once he got in, he had good head movement, just good movement in general, landing some good shots, you know what I mean, Um, and he was the one pursuing the fight, he was moving forward, it wasn't till, I think it was like the end of the first, the second round, that then Burgos started to move forward, I think it was like the last minute of the first round, Burgos was moving forward and landing. And you're like, oh, because we hadn't seen him move forward before. He was landing, but landing going backwards, you know. Um, and then in the third round, 
he seemed to really find his distance and he was landing and he moved forward more definitely moved forward more Cub was still landing good punches though you know um no one was really rocked like even though Burgess did land some good solid punches in that third round but none of them you felt oh you know what I mean like Cub could be out and Cub never landed those sort of punches on Burgos either. Although, again, still landed some solid punches. So, Burgos won the decision. But I I do feel that, you know, it could have gone to Cub. Like, the, 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 the results were a bit odd to me. Because everyone gave, like... I think there was a couple of 30-27s to Burgos. And then a 29-28. And it was a bit like, you know what? I, I, I feel that Cub won yeah, at least one round. I felt he won the first and the second. But yeah, it didn't seem to show on the scorecards, which was kind of strange. You know, it was a very close fight. The co-main event was Derek Brunson against Elias Theodora. Um, Elias Theodora kind of fight like he's so herky jerky. It's like I don't know, you know, he he styles kind of like he's got spina bifida or something because he he's striking is just so weird. You know, it doesn't really have power behind it, but he's always kind of moving and extremely unpredictable. You know, and I, I think it seemed that Brunson, he, he couldn't quite work it out early on. I think halfway through the second round, he seemed to be able to land a bit better. But, you know, Theodora was kind of moving forward, landing weird punches. But I feel probably when Brunson landed, they were the heavier, definitely the heavier shots. So going into that third round, Brunson landed some bigger shots. You know what I mean? Some heavy shots. Theodora wasn't ever, like, dazed. He stumbled a few times, but some of that is is definitely his style because he puts himself kind of off balance a lot, which you just kind of feel that can't work. But I mean, it's won him a lot of fights. But um, yeah, Brunson took the decision, and again, you kind of feel it was a lot closer than the scorecards showed. And the Theodora, I, I, I kind of feel he probably won the fight, but um, you know, I get that's what happens, man. I I feel when you've got this weird style, you're landing, but you're not hurting your opponent. I, I you know, it's always up in the air if if you can take a decision. When it's a very close fight. 
But yeah, Branson wins it, stops the skid, which, you know, he is very happy about. Then we get to the main fight. Alaya Quinta against Donald Cerrone. And, um, you know, this always promised to be a hell of a fight. You know, as I said before, Cerrone, he's a veteran in the game. So many UFC records, you know, like the number of fights, um, the number of punches. You know, he, he, he's always, always been a great person to see fight. You know, then we got Iaquenta, who, who his last few fights have just been insane. You know, he's just kind of walked through people. He's just kind of broken people's wheels. You know, like, even in the Khabib fight, he lost. But, yo, he showed a lot in that fight. So... This, and, you know, the the funny thing is, like, so before this fight, Al was saying that he kind of felt that Cerrone would be, you know what I mean, always hunting for the takedown. Always hunting for the takedown because he wouldn't be able to handle Al's swarm, Al's pressure. So we're in the fight. The first round... It was a little tentative, you know, they were trying to, you know, get the range and everything like that, but Cerrone was landing the most, you know, and he was kind of mixing it up well, like leg kicks, like kicks to the midsection, kicks to the head, you know, varying up the punches, a few combinations using the jab well, going to the second round, Al kind of looks like he's, you know, getting more into it. But Cerrone was just... It's crazy, man. Ever since he's moved down to 155. And ever since, you know, he had his kid, Danger. It's... He's just looked like a, a different cowboy. He looks so focused from beginning to the end of a fight. So before, he's always had skills. He's always looked good. There have been a few fights where he just hasn't been there. You know, that ain't Cowboy anymore. Cowboy is, he's just on right now. And he was just picking, just picking. Picking Alaquenta apart, it was crazy. Like Al just didn't seem to have an answer. He, you know, he he was fainting. He was trying to throw Cerrone off. He was landing some big shots. You know, it 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 wasn't a completely one-sided affair, but Cerrone. Always looked like he was in control. You know, he always looked like he was the maestro to Al's orchestra. You know what I mean? He he was just 
kind of dictating what was going to happen, how the fight was going to go. He he destroyed Al's front leg, just ruined it. And he's the first fighter to put Al down. Um, I think he put him down. Oh gosh, like at least twice. I'm 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 thinking maybe three times. So it was a great just front kick. Like he landed once to the chest, then straight away. He threw up another one. Hit Al straight on the chin. Al went back on his ass. You know. Then um, Cerrone landed a great jab. That put him down. In another round. Like. And at no point. At no point in the fight. Did Cerrone go for the takedown. Al though. He went for a few. You know what I mean? So this was the crazy thing. Before the fight, I was like, yo, Cerrone's going to be trying to take me down. Yo, nope. Nope. Didn't go like that, man. Didn't go like that at all. So, you know what I mean? Cerrone was cool. He he was all good on the feet. Al was just like, yo, I need to change this up. Let me try and get a takedown. Impose my will. You know what I mean? Maybe try and get a submission or something. But it oh, just wasn't happening. Wasn't happening. And, um, yeah, Cerrone looked so good. So good. So dominant. There was a couple of occasions where you thought maybe he could end the fight. You know what I mean? He, he, he swarmed Al on a couple of occasions when Al was stunned. But Al... Being the warrior that he is, crazy heart, you know, he, he gutted through, stayed in the fight. Like the doctor had to be called in at one point because Al's face was leaking. You know, he'd taken so much damage, he had like a cut under the eye, above the eye. But, you know, everyone knew Al was never gonna go, okay, I'm done. You know, he was always going to be moving forward and going for the win. But, um, yeah, this was always Cerrone's fight. And and even in the, the, the stretch at the end, in that fifth round, you know, in a minute to go, when they were kind of standing toe-to-toe, Cerrone was just landing heavy shots. Avoiding our shots And Yo Cerrone took that fight home man Took that fight home And On every Every judge's card Just one Dominant performance You know And it was a great way to end this card So Definitely Definitely not a subpar night of fights. The, it, some great fights. The last fight was insane. Hey, and Cerrone made a little shout out. Yeah, so maybe on that uh, July 4th card, International Fight Week, might see Cerrone v. McGregor. Who knows? But, like, the only thing is...
you know, because the first fight didn't happen because it wasn't going to be a main event. Now, we know in that fight in July that, um, gosh, I think it's uh, Nunes v. Um, home. I think that's the main fight. Oh, and um, Johnny Bones against um, Tiago Santos, I believe. So, we've already got a main and a co-main. So, I don't know if, you know, the McGregor-Cerrone fight will happen. If um, McGregor's still like, yo, it's got to be a main event. Now, maybe it, it could happen for the August card co-main event with... Um, uh, um, DC against rematching um, Stipe Maybe it could be a co-main for that Who knows I don't know But I am definitely looking forward to see what happens with Cerrone next And you know I I, I don't think Al's done I don't think Al's done I think He's he's definitely got more in him. I definitely think he could still challenge for the belt. This just wasn't his night. So it'll be interesting to see who he takes on next. To um, you know what I mean start this run again. But yeah, next week we're in Brazil. Um, Rose Namanunes against Jessica Andral. Um, yeah, I think that, I believe that's the next card, so, um, yo, definitely looking forward to, um, to that, you know, that, that should be a good one, um, but yeah, uh, until then, people, you know what I mean? Enjoy the action, especially if you've got Fight Pass. Being, um, yeah, been watching a lot of crazy shit on Fight Pass, so yeah, enjoy. And, um, we'll, we'll speak next week with the review of UFC 237. So, this week I watched Killing Eve season one. Um, I realize. That I might be a bit late to the party on this But shit There's been a lot to catch up on and watch And you know I guess it's one of those things Sometimes like everyone's watching something And you don't want to be I don't know Like I want things to die down a little You know Because everyone talks shit as soon as something comes out It's like the best thing ever Blah 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 and you want that to die down and the real sentiment to come out. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I don't know. It got renewed for a season two. I had nothing else to watch. So I figured, hey, let me check it out. And um, so it is based on um, a, a book series that is... Um, by uh, an author called Luke Jennings. So the actual um, 
he he put out a novella called Code Name Villanelle, Villanelle, um, which comprised of four short stories, um, like Code Name Villanelle, uh, Villanelle Hollow Point, um, Villanelle Shanghai, and Odessa. So um, yeah. It comprised of these, and um, that's what the TV series was kind of framed around. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who everyone knows from Fleabag, and who is going to be in the next James Bond film. Uh, so she, um, she was brought on to, you know, write and show run the series. And it is starring uh, Sandra U, who, um, you know, people probably know from Grey's Anatomy and Sideways. Uh, Jodie Comer, Fiona Shaw, Darren Boyd, Owen McDonnell, Kirby Howe-Baptiste, who isn't in it enough, if you ask me. Um, Sean Del Delany and David Haig. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, the gist of it is is this: Eve is a bored, whip-smart security services operative whose desk-bound job doesn't fulfil her fantasies of being a spy. Villanay is a talented killer who clings to luxuries her violent job affords her. These two fierce women, equally obsessed with each other, will go head-to-head -head in an epic game of cat and mouse, toppling the typical spy action thriller. I, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed the early episodes of this, and... I think one of the first things that came to mind when watching this was um, Robert Harris. I believe it's Robert Harris, the writer of um, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, Red Dragon, all of that. Because it really seemed like, uh, you know, Eve was being kind of framed as this uh, security operative who has kind of fantasies of possibly crossing the line or just thoughts of what would it be like to, you know, do this sort of stuff, to kill people and be a serial killer. You know, she has this fascination around it, which then leads her to research and stumble upon Villanelle um, and then we're seeing Villanelle and what she's doing and the different kind of ways she's kind of infiltrating um, you know into people's lives so she can kill them like all of it it was like yeah it was interesting you know it was 
that you know they tried to they changed the dynamics so bill is eve's boss then it comes to pass that eve is bill's boss so they're flipping around with the dynamics and they're giving you people like frank who you're never quite sure about so all of this is happening and it's like okay this is definitely interesting and I didn't even I like I didn't mind the craziness with Vanel because you know you're you're watching it and you're thinking, well, you know what, I can get behind that because how stable really is a psychopath gonna be? You know what I mean? Like obviously, like so, you know, I think back in the day you'd show a psychopath who's just completely crazy and off the walls and, you know what I mean, just so erratic. But you're thinking, no, because obviously they're able to um, kind of be a chameleon and navigate the real world. But there's going to be certain things that, uh, uh, they're going to be reckless with And so when you're watching Villanelle And the kind of stuff she's doing And how you know, I mean, She's going against the grain on certain things Not listening to certain orders And you, so it's just like Yo, I can get behind that I can buy that That's all fine The only the, like the pro, I think the big thing for me though Was as the series get Kate went that. As the series moved on, we had uh, these incidences that just didn't really make any sense. You know what I mean? And, like, if they did happen, fine. But there should be more ramifications for it. It's like there's the incidents in the car, okay? And Eve stops the car. And we've got Elena going, Eve, move the car, drive the car, drive the car. And you know what I mean? Like, you can, like, fine. Frank's saying it too, but you can kind of understand not listening to Frank. But Elena, you know what I mean? You'd expect Eve to kind of pay attention to what Elena's saying. So, you know, she doesn't. So she's, you know... And I'm like, all right, fine, that happened. It doesn't make any sense, but that happened, right? I then expect Elena to have a completely different relationship with Eve post that incident. But there's not, which is a bit like, you're losing me a bit here, okay? You're losing me a bit here. We've then got the incident with Bill in Berlin. And, like, straight away, it's a bit like, mm, all right, fine. The whole thing with, with, you know, with the train, you can go, all right, fine. I'll, 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 that, I can let that go. You know, because that might happen at a push. Fine. But then everything that followed after that, it was just like, 
It's just way too obvious and I know what the outcome is going to be. You know, it, it, it was just like, are we really doing this? Really? Really? You know, it was just like spy story by numbers. That's what that was. Because I don't think anyone watching would have thought that that was going to end any other way. You know? Like, if anyone at the end of that were like, oh my god, I didn't know that was gonna, then I'd have to slap him. I'd have to slap him and go, what the fuck is wrong with you? It was obvious to everyone. You know? And, like, it it was these things that were a bit like, huh? Then you've got like, because of that, because, and this is the thing, because of that, the whole relationship between Eve and Vanel should have been completely different. Should have been completely different, but it wasn't, and so it's just getting a bit, what? We've then got, like, I don't know, like, the interrogation. You're asking someone for information, and they're just about to tell you, and then a guy walks into the room, and she stares at him, and then goes quiet. You'd kind of be like, okay, this is a, you know what I mean, maybe I'm making a stretch, but maybe she's scared of him, maybe he's a player in it, you know, but no one's saying those questions, and it's just like, you're meant to be intelligent, people, what the fuck, what's going on here, and see, this is the thing, because I'm like, look, you can be quirky, you can be weird, you can do these things, but at least have people ask the questions, that anyone would ask after these incidents, that's, I think that was a disappointing thing for me, because I didn't actually, you know, I enjoyed the series to a point, you know, it was all right, it was, you know, I mean, I, yeah, but it was just these things, there was these, there's suddenly, these things started to crop up, and, yeah, they, they they interfered with me being able to fully immerse myself in what was happening, you know, fully be able to go, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying this, you know, because these little things just bugged the fuck out of me, because it just doesn't make any sense, you know, so, yeah, so you have all these different things happening, it was just like at no point is Caroline asked about certain information, which is a bit like, well, why don't you ask her? <laughs> you know, what I mean? it's just like there's there's no going behind people's backs here because they know everyone. They will find out. And how the fuck are you trying to go rogue in Russia? You have no contacts, so how is that going to work? You know, see, that's the thing, and, like, 
it, it seems like more and more things were happening that made no sense as we got as the series drew to a close. So it was just a bit like ah, and then just the end. The end bugged the shit out of me. You know, because it made no sense. The end made no sense. Like I, kn- you know, he like Villeneuve took the gun, but you're like, well, he picked up two things. So straight away, if you're not a moron, you know exactly what's g- going to happen, right? But. For then to disappear? You're like, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, ah, yeah. It, like, what was so promising just became a bit infuriating. Yeah, not going to lie. Became infuriating. Like, and I wish it hadn't. Really wish it hadn't. Like, season two is so weird because season two has hit America, but not the UK. But, like, you know, um, yes, BBC America commissioned the show, which is fine. But you would have thought it'd be showing, you know, at the same time in the UK. That doesn't make any sense. So I don't, but I don't know. See, this is the thing. I don't know if I can be bothered watching season two. And I know it's being renewed for a season three. So it's just like, I don't, I think I'm out. Yeah, I think I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm probably, I'd say I'm 80% done. 20% might check it. But on those odds, I don't think I'm watching season two. But, you know, I I guess, look, if you're a fan of spy shit, you might like this. If you're a fan, if you like The Bodyguard, there's loads of people talking about The Bodyguard as well. Because I think they both hit around the same time. I tried The Bodyguard, that infuriated me. But obviously there's a theme here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you like the bodyguard, then hey, Killing Eve is probably all you. If you enjoyed, if you re- were one of the people that loved Fleabag, there is a similarity in the writing, which makes sense because, you know, it's the same creator. So if you really like Fleabag, then yeah, I think you'll probably really like Killing Eve. But um, you know, if so, if if things can bug you, then uh, yeah, be cautious. But um, yeah, I don't know. I like a lot of people I know liked it, so I'm I'm cr- I'm just cranky, man. I'm cranky. Things irritate me. <laughs> you know, the smallest thing can infuriate the shit out of me. So, you know. But, hey, if, if the, what I say rings true to you, then, you know. Hey, all, all I can do is tell you how I feel about it, all right? 
So that's um, season one of Killing Eve. Okay, so this week I um I tried a new book that had been sitting around in my library for a while. Um, yeah, I have no clue why it's taken me so long to get to it. But uh, yeah, it was Snakewood by Adrian Selby. Uh, narrated by Joe Jameson. Um, So, this is what it says. A lifetime of enemies has its own price. Mercenaries who gave no quarter. They shook the pillars of the world through cunning, chemical bruise and cold steel. Whoever met their price won. Now their glory days are behind them, scattered to the wind and their genius leader in hiding. They are being hunted down and eliminated. One by one. Now, this book, it's got a um, <clears throat> a kind of interesting narrative style. Because we kind of are jumping all over the place here. We're, you know, we're going from a... Uh, a kind of a transcription of the current events and then we are jumping around in time from several different viewpoints some of these are kind of in a linear fashion but some you know I mean, sometimes we're jumping to um, the mercenaries, the band of 20, Kalen's band of 20. We're jumping, like, just to certain battles, which aren't necessarily in the order of the, the, the first narration we're getting given. So we have that. But, although, you know what I mean, it's all over the place in that regard... We don't really lose track. It doesn't impact on our understanding of the story, I would say. Uh, And it's definitely a well-written story. One of the things that I really like... So, in in the um, beginning, you heard me mention chemical brews. Well, this was a way, so they use alchemy as a way of powers, you know, and I really like books that shake things up in that regard, you know, it's just not people that are just always stronger than the others, and, you know, no weaknesses, and anything like that, and there's certain authors who have really taken this to a new level and done it in an interesting way where it's not necessarily a mage imbuing you with powers or you know an artifact it's like Brian McCallan did a great job in his um power mage trilogy which was promise of blood the crimson campaign and the autumn republic very good books that are definitely, definitely worth checking out. The novellas are very good as well. And there is a new series that, um, you know, 
I think finishes this year. So I'm looking to check that out. There's also uh, Miles Cameron did a fantastic job in his Traitor Sun Cycle, which was um, five incredible books. The Red Knight, uh, The Fell Sword, The Dread Weem, A Plague of Swords, and then The Fall of Dragons which are great books he again has a trilogy masters and mages that i believe should be finished this year uh we then had uh like joe abercrombie with his um the first law trilogy uh and you had um kind of people with like a berserker who had like the berserker rage and things like that which made things very interesting and probably someone everyone knows Brandon Sanderson with his Mistborn series where people got their powers from like swallowing metal elements and I think the great thing with all of these authors was the power wasn't just unlimited there was you know there was a consequence to having it and you know what I mean it only had a limited time in, in, in which it lasted and that's what um Aiden Adrian did with Snakewood and the whole chemical brews you know like the honor and diff other concoctions they they would give you power they would give you stuff but you know the come down was crazy and then also the brews were dependent on the um oh what is it called the dro the drugger the droger uh so it was like what skills they had in putting these brews together and if they knew what poisons the enemies were using and could give you the antidotes and stuff like that which again added a new complexity to the story so it was yeah it was really interesting in that regard i i will say i did see like i felt the twist was kind of obvious you know I, I i would say that maybe not everyone would get will get it for me i could definitely see the twist coming but i was extremely pleased to then know there was a new wrinkle to it as well so that was very good but the story, it was just an interesting story. You know, a lot of betrayal um, and then vengeance. But there was so much kind of betrayal and back and forth that, like, there was no good guys. You know, you couldn't look at it and go, oh, Kurgon's a good guy or Kalen's a good guy. You know, Gant is a good guy because everyone's done dirty, you know everyone has has killed like women and children you know showed no mercy 
so it, you're you're kind of looking at this and go, ooh, who am I rooting for? Who do I want to win here? You know, because even like the the post on you know they're corrupt. So you're you're looking at everyone like Galathia. She's not a nice person either. You know, at first you're thinking, oh, you know, maybe I'll side with Galathia because it seems, you know, she's the wronged party here. You know, she's the nice one. But then you're like, oh, actually, no, she's not. So you're looking at this and like, oh, who the fuck am I rooting for? Which was a great kind of, you know, it, it, it showed a great level of writing. Also, the fact that you could pick a side. Because, you know, I've read a few books recently where no one was likable. And you're just like, ugh, I don't care. Fuck everyone, I don't care. But in this, even though, as I said, look, not everyone is is good. You could definitely find things in all the characters you were like okay no 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 I like that or oh I like the way they're doing this or I like their their um commitment you know what I mean the way they're going after this or or this the camaraderie and you know so there was all there's something about everyone who you could like and so um yeah, as the book is, is is winding down, you're just like, oh, how is this going to end? You know, how are they going to tie this up? And as I said, the new wrinkle in the twist really just, I think mean, it took the book above average for me. You know, like I was enjoying it. But, you know, with that new little wrinkle, I was like, okay, yeah, 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 that's good. I'm, I'm glad that was added because it, it meant that, you know, you could see that Adrian was a different type of writer. It wasn't just laziness, you know, because I think he, he's let, you know, maybe he didn't want you to see the twist the original twist, but the fact that it was nuanced, it meant that, you know, he's, he's not kind of resting on these laurels, and I thought that was nice, so I would definitely recommend Snakewood to, um, you know, any fans of those previous books I mentioned, so I, I, I think if you're a fan of Brian McKellen, you will you will find this interesting. If you're a fan of Joanne McCombie, if you're a fan of Miles Cameron or Brandon Sanderson, I think you will enjoy Snakewood. So yeah, I would definitely say go check it out. Okay? And you'll find it on Audible or and Amazon. So yeah. Audiobook. Definitely I always go with the audiobook. You know I always go with the audiobook. So go check it out, right? Okay, people, well, yeah, that has been the week. So, uh, before we bounce, let's see what's happening in the world of TV. All right, well, um, Lionsgate 
have struck a deal with Jonathan Levin, you know, the director behind 50-50 and um, the new in cinema's long shot. So um, as part of that deal, one of his first projects is going to be a TV series adaptation of the um, zombie rom-com film Warm Bodies which starred Nicholas Holt and came out in 2013. Uh, so, you know, like it was a it was a pretty successful film on a on a low budget, and they're hoping, I guess, with all the zombie love for Walking Dead, fear of the Walking Dead, and stuff like that, to um, kind of pick this and. You know, drive it on some big numbers and shit. But, um, yeah, no cast has been, um, you know, assigned yet. And, like, no date for when this is going to hit. Like, likelihood is maybe they're going to try and push it for, uh, you know, all the launches in um, September. But who knows? But yeah, so TV series of um, Warm Bodies. Also, another new thing coming is um, from Antonio Farouk. He's um, executive producing and uh, Seth Mann is directing a, uh, a new feature called Free Rayshon. Um it's gonna be starring Lawrence Fishburne, Stefan James, Jasmine Cephas Jones, Skeet Ulrich, Annabeth Gish, and um it's gonna be coming from Sony Pictures TV. Now the story is um, Rayshon, who's going to be played by James, a young black Iraq war veteran who is set up by New Orleans police on a drug deal, runs for his life and takes refuge inside his apartment building with his girlfriend and child. With New Orleans PD and the SWAT team outside ready to storm his home, a social media frenzy begins as community members and news outlets arrive at the scene. During this growing mayhem, a sympathetic cop named Stephen Pointsy, played by Fishburne, plays the role of negotiator. And over the course of one brutally stressful day, Stephen tries to get Rayshan to calmly surrender in order to avoid an escalation of unnecessary violence. So yeah, it could be interesting. Um, there's a lot of this event TV happening right now. So um, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's also going to be coming out on a mobile phone platform called um, Quibi, I believe. 
And so they take like short form TV and chop it into chapters. And then it gets, um, yeah, released like that. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, another uh, film coming, like TV series coming. Uh, but And this one is definitely hitting in September. It's uh, Batwoman. So uh, the CW has um, locked it in straight to series. And um, yeah, it, 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 you know, Batwoman first appeared in um, the annual Arrowverse um, series event. Um, and uh, Batwoman is played by Ruby Rose. So um, yeah, this now, it's finally made its way to... Um, to TV series so um, with Arrow finishing um, this year it's thought that Batwoman will just slide into the gap that's um, been left so you know I think a lot's been um, put on Batwoman and like the big buzz about it is the fact that Ruby Rose is an openly gay actress, which I, you know, I kind of feel that that's just doing everyone a disservice. You know, that shouldn't be the lead of this. It should be great storytelling. Batwoman is a great character. And, you know, it's just a new voice in the DC universe. But, you know, they're going with the openly gay actress angle, which is a shame. But, um, you know, from all accounts, the comic book series is very good. So it'll be interesting, you know, how this turns out. Another uh, comic book series well another two comic book series is coming is uh ghost rider and hellstorm so uh they will be coming to um hulu you know like disney they've got disney plus and they've got hulu which is you know from all accounts gonna be the home to more adult fare which is a good thing because you kind of feel that Ghost Rider and Hellstrom would have a more adult tone. And they'll be joining uh, Runaways, which um, Hulu have confirmed is getting a, um, a third season. Now, these two shows, unlike all the um, series that will be coming to Disney+, Plus, which are going to be made by marvel studios ghost rider and hellstrom are going to be made by marvel television so it will be interesting to see if there is any tie in to the mcu now the new ghost rider centers on robbie reyes a quintessential anti-hero who lives on the texas mexico border 
who is consumed by hellfire and supernaturally bound to a demon. When he unleashes the rider, Robbie brings vengeance for the innocents he encounters, but struggles to control the power he wields. Um, and go like Ghost Rider will be played by Gabriel Luna, who played the same character Robbie Reyes in um, Agents of Shield, but this is a new iteration of that character. So you know what I mean. They kept the same actor, but it's not going to be identical to the version of Ghost Rider that everyone saw in Agents of Shield. Now, Hellstrom follows Damien and Stanna Hellstrom, siblings and offspring of a mysterious and powerful serial killer. They have a compl complicated dynamic as they track down the worst of humanity, each with their attitude and skills. So, uh, yeah, you know. Like, no dates or anything yet for either. Um, but I think that's interesting, man. Like, you know, you could probably assume that these will have a horror kind of tint, which is a new kind of theme for the Marvel Universe. So, um, yeah, you know, hey, that's all interesting. And finally, we spoke about Suskitty Aranus earlier. Well, Jean Favreau is teaming with Mike Gunton, who was a producer on Planet Earth 2, and um, the Natural History Unit of BBC Studios to create Prehistoric Planet, a natural history series that will explore the last days of the dinosaurs using CG animation, which is, um, yeah, pretty interesting. So, you know what I mean? They're, um, Andrew R. Jones and Tim Walker will also produce on the show. And they're saying it's going to be using breathtaking CGI to take us back to the last days of the dinosaurs experiencing the unique wonders of planet Earth 66 million years ago. Which, um, yeah, I can't wait for. But people, unlike Theresa May, I know when to leave a spot. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining us. And we will see you next week for another episode of Echoes from the Void.